The following audio is presented by Grace Church. For more about us, visit discovergrace.com, or you can download our free app by searching Grace Church Orlando on your phone or tablet. Now, we hope you enjoy the message. Well, good morning. We're continuing in our series, Stewarding the Story, Taking a Look at the Life of David. So I want to recap, last week we saw David show incredible restraint. Instead of slaying his enemy, King Saul, he stands on God's word and waits on God's will. So that was last week. The very next scene in our text, which is is the text this morning, we see David do the exact opposite. He's in this almost the exact same scenario, but his adversary is not King Saul. It's a different man. And he, he just doesn't, he doesn't relate. He doesn't jump in. Instead, what he tries to do, instead of waiting on God, he says, I'm going to take matters into my own hands. And you know, as I was reading this text, I go, this is so relatable. This is so relatable in my life. This is so relatable in so many of our lives. As a matter of fact, years ago, Gene and I were up late. Uh, it was really late one night, and we were counseling a couple uh, in marriage counseling, and they were coming, and, and they had a bunch of communication issues. And so we were walking through just different simple principles, you know, like uh, be kind to your spouse when you're, when you're talking, when you're communicating, you know, listen, don't scream, you know, all the normal kind of stuff when we were walking through it. And by the end of the night, we felt like it was a huge win. Like we were just like, man, this was so good. They were encouraged. Feel like we gave them some good just stepping stones in communication. And so we went to bed really late, right? And so when we woke up that morning, everybody woke up late. And so everybody's like on number nine, like running, bustling around the house, trying to get lunches together, backpacks together. We're just trying to get out of the house so they can get to school because they're running late. And so as we're busting it, I go to our van and I'm loading it up with like backpacks and stuff like that. And in the meantime, our three-year-old is at, in the kitchen at the utensil drawer where there's like spoons and forks. And she just stands there and goes, I need a spoon. And we're all running around acting crazy. She's like, I need a spoon. Hey, I need a spoon. And then she started going, spoon. Spoon, I mean, just nonstop, kept going, spoon, spoon, spoon. And my wife is just like running around trying to get, she's like, I've had it. Like, she goes, just pick out a spoon. And she starts screaming at her daughter, right? And I walk in and I immediately go to my wife. I'm like, would you just stop screaming at the kids, right? I mean, it was this moment where we were going, man, last night we're telling this couple, hey, don't scream, don't fight, have good communication. And the very next morning, what are we doing? It's like DEFCON 5 and we're all going at it, right? I mean, it was just this moment where it was going like, we are so broken. We're so broken. We fall short all the time. It's like one day, and I know I'm not the only one. It's not like it's the only the pastor who's a saint one day and then absolutely crazy the next, right? I mean, I know I'm not alone in this room. We are so broken, and that leads us to our big idea. Do you recognize your brokenness? Do we recognize our brokenness? As a matter of fact, Martin Luther says it like this. I love this. He says, this life, therefore, is not righteousness, 
but growth and righteousness. Not health, but healing. Not being, but becoming. Not rest, but exercise. We are not yet what we shall be, but we are growing toward it. The process is not yet finished, but it is going on. This is not the end, but it is the road. All does not yet gleam in glory, but all is being purified. That's such good news for us who are in Christ. That's such good news. In theological terms, we call this sanctification. So I'm going to boil it down real simply. I know there's a lot more to it, but it's growing in holiness. Day after day, we become more and more like Jesus. That progressive sanctification. Okay? But see, here's the thing. I think when we think about growing in holiness, when we think about sanctification, oftentimes the way we think it works is this. We're, it's just a steady line going up. Gradually, we become more and more and more like Jesus. And I think we think that way. But that's not the way scripture necessarily says it. And that's not what we see as examples all throughout the Bible. And really, let's just be honest, that's not how it really works, right? In our own lives. Sanctification looks a lot more like this, right? It's up and down, it's all around. It's crazy. God is at work in your life though. I love how Martin Luther says it. He says that it's not yet, but you are being purified. That's in the messy in the valley, in the lows, in the depression, and all of the junk in our lives, that God is continually sanctifying us and making us more like Jesus. That's good news for us. That's incredible. Because we have hope. It's not like we're just left to ourselves. But we have to recognize that we're broken. And so let's jump into the text this morning. I'm going to read for a little bit, and then I'm going to summarize some, and we're going to keep going. So chapter 25, verse 1. Then David rose and went down to the wilderness of Paran. And there was a man in Maon whose business was in Carmel. Interesting. The man was very rich. Literal translation, the man was very great. And then it begins to explain how he's so rich. So translation works out fine. He's very great. He's very rich. He had 3,000 sheep and a thousand goats. He was shearing his sheep in Carmel. Now the name of the man was Nabal. Interesting. His wealth and his greatness precedes his name. It's almost as if he's this guy who has so much wealth and so much greatness that people don't even know who the guy is. They just know, oh yeah, that's the wealthy guy. That's the guy with so much stuff. So his, his wealth precedes even his name. So now the name of the man was Nabal, and the name of his wife, Abigail. The woman was discerning and beautiful, but the man was harsh and badly behaved. He was a Calebite. Notice the juxtaposition. Notice the difference. The text is saying, hey, listen, he's a horrible man, and she's beautiful and intelligent. Right off the gate. And it's interesting. Think about his name. He says, my name is Nabal. Literally, that word means fool. So I'm going I'm to paint the picture. So in Psalm 14, 1, when it says the fool in his heart says there is no God, the literal translation is the Nabal in his heart says there is no God. This guy is a wretched fool. 
The text is just spelling it out for us. He's harsh and badly behaved. I think it's Isaiah 32, five or six, talks about the fool is a harsh and badly behaved, I'm summarizing here, but a wicked, wicked person. So this, I mean, it's just spelling out for us who this man is. And so as we go through the text, what we're gonna see is, is that it's shearing time. So this man who has all these sheep and all these goats and all this wealth, it's shearing time, which means it's the feast day. It's when they gather everything in and they eat and they, they celebrate and all of their wealth comes in. And so in the midst of all this, David and his men are in the region. And for the past months, I think it's actually even years, David and his men had protected Nabal's shepherds. He watched over them, protected their sheep. They just happened to be in the region. And the text says later on that they were like a wall of protection for them, that no one came and took from there their great wealth. And so it was pretty customary and common practice for this to actually take place. And what would happen is, is that when shepherds are protected, whoever's protecting them gets a part of that wealth, gets a part of the proceeds, at least a feast, at least a meal. And so David, knowing this, knowing that he's a great man of wealth and knowing that he had protected all of them for this long, he sends 10 of his young men to go see Nabal. And he goes to Nabal and he says, hey, I want you to go and ask him for food. So they come, they say, peace be with you. We're here to ask. We've been protecting your shepherds and all of your sheep and you haven't lost a single one. Would you give us some of the proceeds? Would you take care of our people? We've got 600 men, we need food and we're hungry. And Nabal responds this way. He goes, who is this son of Jesse? In other words, he's saying, who's this one who comes to me that's not of royal descent? This one who's not great in my eyes? This one who I'm shaming in your sight? He shames the mess out of David. He just says, who's this son of Jesse? How do I not know that he's just randomly running around and doing his own thing? How do I not know that he's like a vigilante? What, what, what's going on with David? I don't know this boy, son of Jesse, go on. And so not only does he say no, but he shames David. And so his men leave and they come back to David and they say, hey, David, here's the deal. Like we went and asked Nabal for food and he said, no. He's like, you're not getting anything. Now think about this for a second. David showed incredible restraint last week. He had the opportunity to kill King Saul, his enemy. And he showed this great restraint. He didn't kill him. As a matter of fact, he humbled himself and laid on the floor and went to, to Saul and said, hey, would you have mercy, essentially? Would you give me favor? In this scenario, David says, this very next, I mean, next scene, David says, strap your swords, man. Let's go. All 400 of you. 200, y'all stay back and watch our stuff. Strap your swords. We're going in for blood. I've had it. I'm not going to put up any of this. We protected sheep. We watched over them. Strap your swords. It's, it's time. Let's go. And so they all, 400 of them, strap their swords. They are headed for blood. And just think about this for a second. All of David's men were so ready to kill King Saul. They were so ready. Da David had to tear into them to keep them from sinning, to keep them from killing Saul. Can you imagine what kind of bloodthirstiness they have in their, in their hearts right now? They're going, oh, that's what I'm talking about. We are gonna take this guy out, right? And so they're headed to go after Nabal and it's shearing time. But here's the deal. One of the shepherds runs to Abigail. He catches wind 
of what Nabal did. And he knows what kind of a man David is. He knows that he's the future king. He knows that he has 600 men. And so one shepherd goes to Abigail. It's interesting. He doesn't go to Nabal. Why? Because Nabal's a foolish man because he doesn't listen. This is probably pretty common. We don't know this for sure, but as I'm reading into the text, I'm assuming that people probably went to Abigail a lot because she was intelligent, she was discerning, she was a a woman of God, all of these things. And so he doesn't go to Nabal to to handle business. He goes to Abigail because she's an amazing woman. And this leads us to our first sub point. Everyone needs a mediator. Everyone needs a mediator. Let's look at the text, verse 18. Then Abigail made haste and took 200 loaves and two skins of wine and five sheep already prepped and five sayas of parched grain, a hundred clusters of raisins, 200 cakes of figs and laid them on the donkeys. And what she does is she sends all of that ahead of her. She's, she's smart. She sends all of that ahead of her. So instead of for the first time seeing David, just her, she sends all of these gifts. It's a peace offering. She says, hey, I'm gonna send all this ahead of me. He's gonna see all that we have and all that we wanna offer and that we wanna make peace. And then I will, I will talk to David. So she sends it all ahead and it's headed his way. But he's so mad, he even says that I will not allow a single male who's the firstborn to live. They're all gonna go. I'm furious, we're, we're headed for blood. That's that's what he says. And so finally, he sees all the stuff come through and then Abigail and David meet. I'm gonna pick up in verse 23. When Abigail saw David, she hurried and got down from the donkey and fell before David on her face and bowed to the ground. Verse 24 is key. She fell at his feet and said, on me alone, my Lord, be the guilt on me, not on my husband, my foolish husband, not on the one who who did this great offense, not the one who shamed you, who did you wrong, but on me. She comes in as a mediator between her husband and David. She comes in to make compromise. She brings a peace offering. She comes wisely to him. And then she, like David before Saul, now she's before David, she falls down on her face and bows down and says, on me, I'm to blame. Talk to me, let's deal. I want to come and I want to mediate on my husband's behalf. Notice something. She's innocent. She didn't do this. She's not the one who said this foolish thing to David's men. She totally takes the blame as an innocent woman. Let's keep going. End of verse 24. Please let your servant speak in your ears and hear the words of your servant. Let not my Lord regard this worthless fellow... Nabal, as for as his name is, so is he. Nabal is his name and folly is with him. But I, your servant, was not there. Now then, my Lord, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, because the Lord has restrained you from the blood guilt and from saving with your own hand. It's interesting. She jumps in and says, hey, you don't want this on your resume. You don't want this as your past. You don't want to be a part of this. You are not going to commit blood here, David. She's already speaking futuristic language and truth and hope into his life. She's saying, hey, you don't want to do this, David. You don't. 
You don't want blood guilt. Restrain yourself. Verse 27, and now let this present that your servant has brought to my Lord to be given to the young men who follow my Lord. Please forgive the trespass of your servant for the Lord will certainly make my Lord a sure house because my Lord is fighting the battles of the Lord and evil shall not be found in you, David, so long as you live. This is, this is beautiful. She keeps going. If men rise up to pursue you and to seek your life, the life of my Lord shall be bound up in the bundle of the living in the care of the Lord your God. That's a lot of language right there. Here's what it means. All she's saying is, is hey, listen, you do not want to do this. Why? Because God is gonna take care of you. You should be bound up in, in the care of God and not in the staining of blood by your own hands. Trust God, look to God. She's mediating in his behalf or on his behalf. It's crazy. She is a remarkable woman. She takes the blame, she mediates and speaks the truth. She even says that, hey, you're gonna be king one day, don't do this. She's pleading with him on all different levels. David needed a mediator, he did. It's interesting, Chris Voss, the FBI's lead kidnapping negotiator wrote a book called Never Split the Difference. It's a cool book. In his book, he talks about the importance of knowing the person you're negotiating with. So much so that this is the way it works. He's the leading negotiator in America, okay? What he does is, is he has all of his men doing research in the background as he's negotiating with someone. So they're feeding him all the things that he needs to know. What, what does this person value? Is he in a gang? Does he bluff often? Does he really mean what he says? What, what, what's his angle? Is it about drugs? Is it about money? Is it about safety? What is this guy? What's his angle? How am I supposed to go about this? And then he negotiates according to all that language. It's amazing. Abigail is a brilliant negotiator. It's all the things I've been saying. She comes to him and says, hey, I know that you're a hero. I know that you're going to be the king. I know that you're a man of God. You don't want this on your resume. You don't want this on your conscience. You don't want this on your life. She brilliantly negotiates. She even says in a couple of verses later, she brings out the fact that God is going to sling out his enemies. What she's doing is she's using the same language that David would be reminded of, that, that David, by the power of God, took a sling and took out who? Goliath. She's an incredible negotiator under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. She's bringing to mind, hey, David, it's by God's power, not by your hand that you commit this. Don't shed blood outside the reins and the channel of what God provides. Be in the bundle of his care. Sit under him. She's mediating, and it's this beautiful thing. And she saves her household. She does. Everyone needs a mediator. God set up mediators all throughout the Old Testament. I mean, think about it. We had Moses, and then Jethro comes and says, hey, you need to set up other leaders to handle what? Different people's business to shepherd and to deal with different things. God set up multiple different types of mediators. Even King Solomon, David's son, he says, hey, I want you to go and I want you to, the man of all wisdom, I want you to mediate. I want you to bring compromise. I want you to use your wisdom and help people get to their next step. 
So people from all over would come to Solomon and say, hey, what should we do here? And he would mediate. But there's something here. Some of you are headed down a dark path like David. And you need a third party to bring clarity and hope to your situation. In the same way that Abigail did to David, you need clarity and hope in your situation, in your story. Maybe it's divorce or ultimatums or just poor decisions financially. I don't know what it is in your life, but everyone needs a mediator now and again. But there's something bigger in this story. Think about Abigail. What does she represent? Who does she act like? Who does she look forward or point forward to? Abigail represents someone who's to come. Think about it. She's innocent. She didn't do this. She didn't commit the crime. She's not the problem. And she comes and says, hey, have mercy. Let the guilt be on me. She comes in and takes the spot of her husband and says, let it go. Forgive the offense. I'm here. I'll take the guilt. In the same way, Jesus, y'all know this, Jesus comes and he says, on me, let the guilt, let the shame, let the sin. He who had no sin became sin so that what we can become the righteousness of God. Jesus mediates in our behalf. As a matter of fact, the text in, in 1 Timothy 2, 5, it says this, for there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. You see, we've all sinned against God. We all fall short and miss the mark before God. It's his standard, not ours. We have a broken relationship with God. And so Jesus comes in and mends that relationship when we trust in him. Who in here this morning, you've never had and never realized that Jesus mediates your relationship with God. That, that you, you in your pride or whatever it is, but you in your sin, because you're broken, have said, no, 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 I don't need someone to mediate my behalf. Do you recognize your brokenness in this? Do you recognize that you need someone greater than yourself to make you right with God? Maybe you're here this morning and you're visiting or, or maybe you've been coming to church for years and years and years, but you've never surrendered your life to Christ. Do you recognize that you need Jesus in your life? Not just today. This is interesting. Okay, I wanna, I wanna point this out. When Jesus dies, what does he do? He dies and then he rises from the dead on the third day. But check this out. When Jesus comes back and he rose from the dead, what does he still have? What does he have in his hands? Somebody say it scars in his hands. What does he have in his side? He's got a hole. Jesus mediates forever for everyone who trusts in him. He's standing in the gap now. He's standing in the gap forever. We need Jesus every day. Everyone needs a mediator. Everyone needs Jesus. Do you recognize your brokenness? Do you recognize that you need help every single day? It's only through Christ that we are forgiven. It's only through Christ that we have hope and truth and that we can have victory over sin. Every day we need Jesus. Every day, believer, unbeliever, we need Jesus. Do you recognize that? Second thing that I see in this text is that everyone needs community. Everyone needs community. This is almost the exact, it's very similar to the first, it's just at a different angle. Verse 32, and David said to Abigail, blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who sent you this day to meet me. Blessed be your discretion and blessed be you. 
who have kept me this day from blood guilt and from working salvation with my own hand. For as surely as the Lord, the God of Israel lives, who has restrained me from hurting you unless you had hurried and come to meet me? Truly by morning, there had not been left to Nabal so much as one male. Then David received from her hand what she had brought him, and he said, go in peace to your house. See, I have obeyed your voice, and I have granted your petition. David needed somebody speaking into his life. He needed a community. He needed that, that third party or whatever it is, that second party, that for somebody coming and say, hey, what are you doing? Don't do this. Your, your, your error is, is you're going way off. Don't miss this. He needed community. He needed someone speaking into his life. And you know, it made me think, Gene and I's probably darkest time in marriage was like seven years ago. And we were, we were roughing it. I was cynical, I was jaded, she was bitter about all the stuff going on in our lives. And we just recognized, man, we, we're not going down the right path. Like our eyes are off Jesus, but even more than that, like we aren't walking, we're walking in darkness in our hearts and our minds. We were doing everything that, you know, you would expect from a believer, you know, going to church, serving, giving, all that kind of stuff, trying to love people well. But in our hearts and in our minds, it was just dark. And so we decided we need help. And so we started meeting with a couple who was older than us, who had been through the trenches, who had felt pain and gone through trials and been through cynicism and all of this. And so we just said, hey, I don't even know what this looks like, but we need help. We, we don't have the right main, like, frame of mind now. Would you start meeting with us? And so we started meeting and we met in our house and we would eat dinner together. We'd share our lives together. We went through books together. We probably went through four or five books over a few months. And we just shared our hearts and just said, hey, here's what's going on. We don't know how to process this. We don't know how to think through this. And they just sat with us and loved on us. They listened to us. They walked with us. It's not that they had all these incredible answers and that they were just bringing all this stuff. And we were going, man, never thought about that. Oh my gosh, this changes my entire life. No, it was somebody walking alongside us. It was community. We needed community. Everyone needs somebody speaking the gospel into their ear. Everyone needs truth and hope and forgiveness and life. Everyone needs somebody. And so if you're here this morning and you're alone and you're trying to do this alone, I want to tell you that that's a gauge in your life that you do not recognize your brokenness. You don't recognize that you need community, that you need a mediator, that you need Jesus in your life. When you try to go at it alone, you don't get anywhere. Yeah, there's all these, you know, cool stories of this guy who, you know, like did it on his own and was doing all this stuff and everything came out great. That's rare and in between. That's so rare. Everyone needs community. And you know, as I think about it, just to point this a little further, Adam and Eve in the garden, think about it. God created the first man. It was perfect. God was in the garden. He walked with God. And what does God say? God says, hey, it's not good for what? Man to be alone. Why? Because we need community. As a matter of fact, think about God in this way. God is three persons in one. We call it the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Even in the Godhead, the perfect Godhead, there's fellowship. There's community. We are created for community. 
So I don't care how introverted you think you are or whatever it is or whatever you're going through that you feel like you have to X everybody out and block everybody off. No, you need to open your life and say, would you come in? And it doesn't mean they're gonna treat you perfectly. It doesn't mean that they have all the answers. It means that you can't do it alone. We're all broken. We all need community. And so that's why we have grace communities. That's why people meet for breakfast once a week, men to men, women to women. That's why we do this because we can't do it alone, right? Everyone needs community. And so the last thing, sub point that I see here is everyone needs a defender. Verse 36, and Abigail came to Nabal and behold, he was holding a feast in his house, like a feast of a king. It's interesting. Nabal is acting like a king, but he's a fool. David's acting like a fool, but he's a king. He's being gracious when everybody thinks he shouldn't be, right? And Nabal's heart was merry within him for he was very drunk. So she told him nothing at all until the morning light, wise woman. In the morning when the wine had gone out of Nabal, his wife told him these things and his heart died within him. And he became as a stone. And about 10 days later, the Lord struck Nabal and he died. When David heard that Nabal was dead, he said, blessed be the Lord who has avenged the insult I received at the hand of Nabal and has kept back his servant from wrongdoing. The Lord has returned the evil on Nabal, of Nabal on his own head. Then David spoke with Abigail and took him as his wife. Many believe that this is what took place. So just medically, he had a heart attack. He went into a coma for 10 days and then God struck him dead. And so David, what does he do? He is restrained because Abigail mediates in his behalf, speaks into his life, says, don't do this. And he says, fine, I will restrain. I'll forgive this offense, so to speak. I'll let it go. And then God, what does he do? He takes care of Nabal. I don't know how to work all this out in the economy of God and justice and all that. All I know is that God is perfect. And so God is David's avenger. And it makes me think of Romans chapter 12. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves. There's that language. But leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Now, I don't know if you're like me, but that's in my heart. If somebody does me wrong, if somebody crosses me, I mean, even if people cut me off on the interstate, I'm like, <laughs> you know what I mean? You just have that natural, I mean, that's why we love movies like Taken, right? We see this scenario and you go, man, that was wrong. How could he do that? Get him. Liam Neeson, get him, right? Like you just feel that. You feel that in your heart and in your mind. I am so broken that when somebody does me wrong, I want to get revenge because I'm a sinner, because I'm, I'm, I'm weak, right? But David says, no, 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 no. I see the truth here, Abigail. I'm not going to avenge. I'm not going to kill this man. And he restrains. And then God says, I'm going to be your defender. This is, we don't know how this all works out. I don't know how it's going to work out, but all of you have things that you want to avenge, that you want to take revenge on, whether it's a boss, whether it's a spouse, whether it's a child acting crazy or whatever it is in your life, a financial decision or a company who messes your entire company up, whatever it is, 
God says, don't repay evil for evil. Leave it in the hands of God. It's cool. David actually gets to experience this. He not only just trusts God, but he sees God deliver. We need to take that to our hearts and to recognize that everyone needs a defender. You can't take it in your own hands. You've got to trust the Lord. You gotta trust God. And it's interesting. We're all broken, right? David forgives, so to speak. And when we don't forgive, we don't recognize our brokenness. We don't recognize that we sin, that we've hurt people, that we've gone and done things that messed people's lives up. I know I have, I know you have. We're all part of this broken story. And so we all need a defender. We don't need to take it into our own hands. So we need to forgive because that's what Christ did. Think about it. Jesus came and what did he say? He said, did he say, I'm come to condemn the world? No, I don't come to condemn the world. I come to save it. I've come to forgive. Now there will be a day where Jesus will come back and he will judge the living and the dead. But in this life, at this moment, we need a defender. We need to forgive. We need to actively love in the midst of it. And so I leave you with this this morning. Do you recognize your brokenness? Do you recognize that you need a mediator, that you need community, and that you need a defender in your life? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. I pray that you would just work in our hearts. God, that we would learn from David that, that you know, one day we're don't going strong and everything's great, but then the next day we mess it up. God, would you help us to recognize that we're finite, that we're fallen, that we're sinful, but that Jesus, you, you died in our place and our hope is in you and not in what we do. So help us to trust you, help us to look to you Help us to lean on you, Jesus, in the midst of our lives. God, we love you and we praise you. Amen.